All right. Glory to God. Well, let's turn in our Bibles this morning. As you can see, my wonderful other half is not here this morning. He is at Pastor Mac and Lynn Hammonds up in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Glory to God. Wonderful friends, wonderful people. And I uh, talked to him last night and again this morning. He said everything was going real well. So we're expecting with him this morning. He's already preached once and going again right now. So uh, he's got a full load today because he preached at 8 this mor- 8.30 this morning and then at 10.30 and then again at 6 o'clock tonight. So glory to God. Y'all, if y'all think, forgive us something to pray for, pray for him. All right. Hallelujah. Well, let's look in our Bibles today at um, Hebrews 11.1. 1. Anybody know what Hebrews is about? Faith. Can you ever get too much faith? That's the name of our church. Faith Life Church. And you know, there's nothing that comes up in your life that that won't answer. Faith. You know, we sang Shambach's song this morning, Hallelujah Anyhow. And um, he's got a saying. You don't have any problems. All you need is faith in God. You ever heard him say that? Anybody ever heard him say that? That's an excellent saying because that's what the situation is. You don't have any problems. You just need faith in God. So let's read uh, Hebrews 11.1. 1. I'm reading from the King James now. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Now, I don't know about you guys, but that's a little confusing to me. I mean... It can be um, easier to understand than that. Can it be easy? Everybody understand that just perfectly the way it is? No. Um, let's hear it from the Living Bible. It says, does anybody have a Living Bible? Yeah, there's several people in here. It says, what is faith? Faith is, it is the confident assurance that something we want is going to happen. Now, does that explain it a little better to you? What is faith? It's the confident assurance that what we ask is going to happen. Now, have you ever asked anything of God and it didn't happen? Yeah, everybody has. Everybody has. Well, that's some of the things that we're going to talk about this morning. Confident assurance is actually confident expectation in the Greek. It means you're expecting something to happen. A lot of people are expecting things to happen, but they're expecting bad things to happen. They're expecting these wars that we keep hearing about to escalate. They're expecting more terrorism. Do you hear them talk on the news? We're expecting that there might be another attack. Well, that's faith in the terrorist. Do you understand what what we're getting at? Faith, you can have faith working for good things or you can have faith working for negative things. We want our faith working for good things. I think faith is a very, very misunderstood subject. I think it's like to a lot of people, it's kind of like, whoo, hocus pocus. Maybe it'll work this time. Maybe it won't. That's what it is to a lot of people. It's like they, they hear the word faith. They've learned the faith lingo. They've learned the faith talk. They know they're not supposed to say anything negative. But yet and still, they're not getting faith results. How many of you have heard about faith for a while now? 98% of the people in here. How many of you during that time have just prayed something because you thought it was the thing to do? You didn't have any faith about it. You just prayed it because it was the thing to do. I know a little friend of mine, a friend of mine's little girl, we were out shopping one day and I thought it was the cutest thing. She asked her mother to buy her something. And her mother looked at her, which is a really bad confession, but she said, we don't have the money. Which, you know, that's a really bad confession because you may not have it on your, in your pocket, but you, you don't need to be confessing that. We don't have any money. It'd be a negative working of faith, right? So anyway, the little girl looks at, at her. She had to be four years old. And she says, well, Mama, just write a check. <laughs> and I think that's how some people's faith is. It's like they don't really understand it. Like, she didn't understand what a check was. She just thought a check was a piece of paper that you just write something on, and you didn't have to have the money. It was just paper. But what happens is people do that with their faith. They just write a check with their faith when they don't really understand what's going on with it. Did you know that 
Romans tells, turn with me real quickly to, uh, and I won't say real quickly every time I say turn to a scripture. I rebuke myself over that. I say it every time I do it. So uh, turn with me to uh, Romans. And that was a bad confession. And y'all didn't even catch it. Golly. Romans, here, I've got it written down. According, Romans 12, 3. Sorry, I didn't tell you the verse. As God has dealt to every man, what? A measure of faith. So there's not a person in here this morning that does not have some faith. You may think you don't, but there's not a person in here this morning. God didn't say, well, I'm going to pick this one and they'll have some faith. And I'll pick this one and they'll have a little bit more faith. And I'll pick this one and they'll have greater faith. And I'll pick this one and they'll have more faith or less faith. No, he said he dealt to every man a measure of faith. Now, what you do with that faith is left up to you. Do you know you can have little faith or you can have great faith? We've been in the ministry now for 25 years. And... uh, We've had the privilege of working with some of, I would think, the greatest faith people on the face of the earth today. We've had, we've spent 20 years, I mean, in close proximity with Brother Kenneth Hagin. And I don't know if you know him or not, but there's not a man on the face of the earth that knows more about faith than this man. God brought him up off of a deathbed with heart disease and he couldn't walk. He was paralyzed and there was a list of things as long as your arm wrong with him. And they said he couldn't couldn't live. He was going to die. And God healed him. And you know what? I know the devil wished he would have left him alone. Don't you know it? Because what happened with Brother Kenneth E. Hagin? He has preached faith around the world. He has taught you about faith. He's taught me about faith. Because I dare say, every person in this room that's heard anything about faith got it through somebody that got it through him. Right? Right? So if we had the opportunity to be around anybody that knew anything about faith, we couldn't have picked. If if you could have just sat down and picked out, okay, God, like you want to train for something. And you say, okay, God, who's the best person that you could hook me up with because I want to be the world's greatest pianist? What would you want to do? Everybody's pointing to Dino. (laughs) We went went out to a meeting with Dino and then recently he won't like me saying this, but on the billboard it says, major pianist. (laughs) So he's a major pianist. (laughs) No, he's a blessing and he, he loves the Lord. And don't you love to hear him play? I do. Glory to God. But anyway, say you wanted to learn how to play the piano. Wouldn't it be better to learn? Or you wanted to learn how to play the bass guitar. Now, Dave can play that guitar. Did y'all hear him this morning? You might want to hook up with him if you wanted to learn how to play the guitar. But you wouldn't go to somebody that knows the same amount that you do about it and expect to gain anything. You'd want somebody that had, had, had major accomplishments and had achieved major things in their life. You'd want to learn from somebody that everything that they believe for has come to pass, that you know of. But what happens is, people try to get in the Word for a year, two years, and they want to be at His faith level. Because they've heard Him talk. They've listened to His tapes. They've played Him half the night. They've played Him half the day. And they want to be where He is in faith. But you know, you don't get there in a year. He's been doing this 65 years, 70 years, close. uh, I've forgotten my numbers now. But he's been doing it longer than most of us have been alive. I mean, most of us has only been alive a quarter of the time he's even been living by faith. So what happens is we try to believe for things that he's believing for and we have faith failures. And we flop on our face. And the devil comes in and condemns us and tells us, well, you just don't have any faith. You have no faith. Well, didn't we just read in Romans that everybody has a measure of faith? So what's happening? You're trying to... Have you ever heard that saying, um, one bite at a time out of an apple? You can only, you know, deal with something one little thing at a time. You can't just take the whole thing on and, and deal with it. A bite out of an elephant at a time. 
I mean, that's a big thing. You understand what I'm saying? If you try to be at a level where you're not, you're going to have what I call faith failures. And you're never going to grow. Never. You'll never grow because the devil will keep you condemned and the things that you believed for that you didn't get, you will be in fear for trying to believe for anything else. You'll say the right things. And that's what happens so many times when you see people laying in a hospital bed and you go in there to see them and they're making all the right confessions. They're saying, by Jesus' stripes I was healed. I know Jesus took my infirmities and bare my sicknesses. And I know I'm healed. God took his stripes so I could be healed. And they're saying all the right things, but they've only been in the Word for six months. And they're trying to believe for something that people that have been in the Word for 20 years are still having trouble believing for, and they're not there, and they die. And so the Word goes out, well, I know they were standing in faith. I heard it with my own mouth. They said that by Jesus' stripes I was healed. I heard them say it. They said they were believing God. But what happens? They die, and faith gets a bad rap. For lack of a better word, God gets a bad rap. Let's look at a couple of things that help us to see where we are in faith. Do you know that you can have little faith? Let's look at some scriptures and see. Let's prove it from the word, all right? Matthew 6.30. Everybody likes to think that they're way far out ahead of where they really are in faith. And the devil is... I I hate to say it, but I think he's a part of that sometimes because he knows that if he can get people to have faith failures, that they'll never grow in faith. They'll just say it doesn't work. So he encourages them to get off in the ditch on this side because he already sees they're going to start believing God. So if he can't keep them from starting believing God, he's going to make them try to do something that there ain't no way, excuse my English, any way that they can believe for that. They're not there. Look at what, what happens here in Matthew 6.30. Wherefore, if God clothes the grass of the field, which is today and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you? What's the next part? Oh, ye of little faith. Little faith. So you can have little faith. Look at Luke's, Luke 12. Let me just read these to you. And you won't have to keep turning to them because I've got several down here. Jot them down and look them up for yourself. Everybody got a pen? They can jot them down. Don't take, don't take any preacher's word for anything. Look it up in the Bible for yourself. Even Paul told us that. Study to show yourself approved. Study the word. Make sure you know it. Nobody, so that nobody can lead you astray. Luke 12, 28 says the same thing. It says, if God so clothed the glass of the field, which is today, and tomorrow is cast into the oven, how much more will he clothe you? What? Oh, ye of little faith. Matthew 8, 24. Um, Jesus is talking and there was a, he's going across the, the sea and a great tempest arose. And this is Matthew 8, 24 through 26. And behold, there arose a great tempest on the sea insomuch that the ship was covered with waves. But Jesus was asleep. He didn't care. And his disciples came to him and woke him up saying, Lord, we're going to perish. What a confession. And Jesus got up and said, oh, you guys, you can never have what you need, and, and you have to have me here with you. And um, it wasn't a big deal to him because he knew he was the only one that could have faith. And it didn't, you know, he, he didn't get upset with them at all. No, verse 26, he says, And he said unto them, Why are you scared? Why are you fearful? O ye of little faith. He didn't say it's okay for you to be scared because there's waves all around. He didn't say it's okay for you to be scared because the boat's about to sink. Now, if you're going to be scared, that would, to me would be an excellent time to be scared. Now, I went sailing out in San Francisco one time. It was a, a business thing, and our whole staff went, and uh, I was out on this sailboat, and uh, we got out into the ocean, and uh, the water got rough, and I got green, and everybody on the boat got green, and we got greener. And the captain of the boat, I think, was just trying to have fun. It was one of those rental deals, you know, that our employers had decided they wanted to do for us, you know. And so everybody on the boat, this is a sailboat, so every time you get still and you think you can can just settle down just a little bit, they say, 
whatever, does anybody sail? The mast comes around, is that what that thing is called? And um, you have to move, you have to get up and you have to move again and you're going like this the whole time. We were so sick, we couldn't see straight for three days. I mean, we were sick. We were, every one of us had little white buckets. We were, it was bad news, I'm telling you. I'm telling you, it was bad news. And I thought I was going to die out there on that ocean. And I thought, well, we're, we're about to go back. And about the time I thought we were go, about to go back, we went out another four hours. They had to see the whales. I wouldn't, could care less about seeing whales. I was thinking, get me on some solid ground now, you know. And I wasn't the only one. I mean, everybody was as green as they could be, you know. And, and I wasn't in fear. I was just sick of it. But can you imagine what they were going through out there on the ocean? I mean, the waves are coming. You're, you, you know, we're not talking about a big ship like the Titanic. You understand that? We're talking about a little boat that they're out on the water in. And they probably, you know, were packed in there. I bet you, you know, by the time you get all of his disciples and him and everybody else in there, there probably was a crew of them in there. And Jesus laid down and went to sleep. Did he not know a storm was coming? Did he care? No. Why didn't he care? Because he knew that whatever came about, he could deal with it. And he Now these people, just like what we had been talking about, these people have been with Jesus day in and day out. They were not just some stranger that walked in off the street. These disciples had been with him from the time he got up in the morning till the time he went to bed at night. They'd been with him in good situations. They'd been with him when people had tried to stone him. They'd been when people had tried to do everything under the sun to him. And yet and still, he'd been teaching them faith and teaching them faith and teaching them faith. And what did they do? What we all did, have done. What we all have had done. And Jesus didn't get up and he didn't say, well, bless your little darling hearts. It's going to be all right. I still love you. Everything's going to be all right. No, look at that in Matthew 8, 24. It's, it's got a connotation there of almost fussing at him a little bit. Why are you fearful? Oh, you of little faith. And then he arose and he rebuked the winds and the sea and there was a great calm. So he didn't just tell him it's okay. You know what happens in our society sometimes is people come to us with their problems, just like they went to Jesus with their problem. And what they want is for you to take them in their arms and just cuddle them. Oh, man, nobody's ever had it as bad as you've ever had it. Nobody, I mean, you're going through worse things than I've ever seen in my life. I don't know how you're making it. And that's what they want. Keith's got a saying that I learned a long time ago, and my staff knows that we don't do it. And uh, if y'all hang around us very long, you'll know we don't do it. Never pet a powder. Powder. Somebody that's pouting, whining, crybaby. Whiny baby, as Keith says. Never pet them. Because what it does is it encourages them to be a whiny baby. And you know, being a whiny baby and whining will not help you out of anything. The only thing that will help you out of anything is faith. That's the only thing. And so if Dave were to come to me today and say, Phyllis, you know what? I've just had the most horrible day. Everybody that I deal with today putting carpet in just whined and whined. And there, nothing was right. And my carpet layers didn't show up. And the carpet didn't lay right. And they sent me their own color. Whine, whine, whine. I'd probably go, get over it, Dave. We've all had days like that. You know? And that's not being mean. Because if what you do is you pet him and you say, oh, bud. It'll be all right. Maybe you should just take a couple of days off and think about what's been going on. Search your life out. Maybe you're not doing the right thing. And go home and shut your door and and put a cool cloth on your head. What's going to happen? It's going to get worse. It's going to get worse. Every one of us have been attacked with things. Every person in here has had horrible weeks. You've had horrible days. You've gone from daylight till dark. You've been attacked in your body. You've been attacked in your finances. You've been attacked in your marriage. You've been attacked with your parents. You've been attacked with your kids. You've been attacked with the people at work. You've been attacked with things that no human should be attacked with. 
But what people do is they give place to that. And they start whining and they start talking about it. And they start saying, feel sorry for me. I've had a rough time. Feel sorry for me. The money's not here. My bills are late. Who in here has never had a bill late? Never in your life has had a bill late. Never in your life. It's a rare thing. It's a rare thing. So to go and whine to somebody and say, you know, I don't have the money. Well, you're not going to have it that way. That's little faith. Little faith. We have to find out where we are. Okay, turn with me to um, Matthew 14:29. I want you all to jot these and underline these little, oh, little faiths. You don't have to do it now, but you can do it sometime. Matthew, here's Peter. Matthew 14, 29. And he said, Peter was walking on the water and he said, Lord, if that's you, bid me to come. And, and he said, come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid. And he began to sink. And he cried saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said unto him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Now, Keith tells this, and he tells it a little bit more humorously than I probably can. But he says, most people that would have been in Peter's shoes there would have been at their counselor's office the next morning. (laughs) Because they would have gone to him and they would have said, Mr. Psychiatrist, my boss, yesterday I did something that no man has ever done before in their life. No man's ever done this. Except for him, I was the only one. I was the only one that had the faith to get up out of that boat and get out on that water and walk on that water. And did he say, good job, Peter. You done good, Peter. Good for walking on the water, Peter. You did real good. No, he says, where's your faith, Peter? Where's your faith, Peter? He didn't pat him on the back and say, good job. You got out of the boat and walked over here to me. He said, no, no, that's not what Jesus told me. He said, where's your faith? Now, that's Jesus talking to one of his disciples. Whose example are we supposed to follow? We're too easy to let people dump their loads on our backs and feel sorry for themselves. It was, it was commendable to me that Peter walked on the water. But standing in faith for a little while is just exactly the same as not having stood in faith at all. The, the result is the same. You fall. You know what's the funniest thing about that story to me? Is here's Peter walking on the water. Now he's walking on the water. You understand that? He is walking on the water. But he gets distracted by the wind and the waves. Like that makes a difference if you can walk on the water or not. Now isn't that just like the devil? You're believing God for everything in your being. You know? And you're doing real good. And then he throws a sickness in your way and you was believing for your finances and you think, I can't believe for all this. When you were already believing for it and it was already coming in and then you just cast away your confidence. But we today, we'd be, if, if you were to chew out one of your employers the way Jesus to me chewed Peter out and said, where's your faith, Peter? We would. We'd have our psychiatrist office full saying verbal abuse. Now, was Jesus verbally abusing Peter? No, he was getting Peter ready because he knew he wasn't going to be there very long. And, you know, if you really love somebody, you're not going to let them stay in their mealy mouth, pitiful little sad state, and not care whether they're growing or or not growing. If you really love somebody, I mean, that that is the greatest joy to me in pastoring. The greatest joy. And all the traveling and stuff that we've done, we get to minister to people. We've ministered to thousands of people. We've had healing lines that's lasted a solid hour just laying hands on people. I mean, running, Keith and I running from one side to the other. Miracles happening. But we don't get to stay there and see the results. But the greatest thing to me in pastoring is seeing what I've seen in these people in this church already in the four months that we've been here. 
It's a faith level that's growing and an expectancy that's growing. You can see it in your faces. You can see an excitement in, the, in your voices. Hear an excitement in your voices. That is the greatest thing. And what kind of person would want to know about faith and keep it to themselves? And just say, you just stay down there at your little mealy level, barely getting your bills paid. Because I've got great faith and I can only believe for you. Well, that's not a really good friend if they know something that can help you and they're unwilling to tell you. Well, that's the way Jesus was with Peter to me. Peter and Jesus had a relationship like no other to me. I mean, they did. I mean, Peter, bless his heart, time after time after time, he'd mess up. I mean, he messed up so many times. I read through there, I was just trying to see how many times he messed up. And I just would just laugh because I thought, thank you, God, you're faithful because you'll have mercy on me for all the times I've messed up. Because he'd always bring him back to him. I mean, they're there one day, and uh, they're talking, and, and uh, he says, um, Peter, you got that from God. And then at 30 minutes later, he said, I rebuke you, Peter, Satan. He's talking to Peter. I mean, all in the same day. I mean, this is one of his disciples, and he's rebuking him, calling him the devil. Now, why would he do something like that? Because he's trying to teach him something. He's trying to teach him that five minutes from now you can yield to, the, to God and then ten minutes from now you can yield to the devil. And if he didn't care about him, he wouldn't have been trying to teach him. If you care about people, you don't let them just stay down in their pity parties. You don't let them just constantly... I know the other night a young man walked up to me here and he said... I just don't know what I'm going to do. I just don't know what I'm going to do. da 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 And I looked him square in the eye. I said, you got more faith than that. Quit whining. And it just kind of startled him and he shook his head. I knew how much faith he had. I knew what his background was. I knew where he was at. He came to me the next week and he said, you know what? That helped me more than anything I've heard in two years. <laughs> well, why would that help more? Because it's truth. And it can give you answers. Not just somebody that's going to sit there and hold your hand and pat you on your shoulder while you go down the tube. That doesn't help anybody. So these people had little faith. Do we want to have little faith? I don't think so. So many people, I think, don't get in faith because they think it's hard. They would rather say, God didn't want me to have that than to actually say they failed at faith. Because faith, it's a deal. It's not just something you say with your mouth. If you're standing in faith, it can be a lot like work. Because if you're standing in faith, the first thing that's going to happen is, okay, you say, I call my body healed. Anybody ever done that? I call my body healed. What happens the next five minutes? Tendency seems to happen that the devil says, I feel this, but I call my body healed. So what happens? People would rather not get in faith at all because what you have to do then is you have to resist that pain. You have to resist those thoughts and cast down every imagination that exalts itself against the knowledge of Christ. You have to do everything that you can to get this mind under control. And that's harder than it sounds. When you've got something, you've got a report that they say you've got cancer and you're going to die next week. We've dealt with people like that. The biggest thing that is the hindrance in their life is that word cancer. It's like cancer has just exalted itself above the knowledge of God. Cancer's bigger than God in their minds. And don't get me wrong, I've dealt with people, close people to me. My mom and dad both overcame cancer. Both of them. And um, it wasn't, it wasn't, it's not an easy thing to deal with your mind when you're having attacks like that. It's not an easy thing when the bill collectors are calling you on the phone and you're standing in faith. It's not an easy thing when your body's racked with pain to control this mind. So most of the time, what happens is people won't even try to get in faith because they know it's going to be a battle. The devil's not just going to say, okay, Dave, you're standing in faith. 
You know, your, your body, you, you said, I, by Jesus' stripes, I'm healed. And instantly all the pain's going to disappear and go away. Doesn't happen that way most of the time. Yes, there are miracles, but most of the time it's a standing thing, is it not? You have to stand a little while. And you have to come up against it. Keith says a lot of people have what he calls no-fault religion. You know what he means by that? It's not their fault. It's God's fault. Because God didn't do it. They said it with their mouth. So they won't believe God at all. Because they don't want the fault to come back on them and it make them look like they, they couldn't believe God. So what happens is, at least you people in here are trying to build your faith. But a lot of people outside in the world, they don't want to even try to believe God because they don't want to take the chance that they might fail. So they have what we call no-fault religion. They don't want to even try to hook up with God because they're afraid they can't do what it takes to hook up with Him. So they won't even try. I know we were in a service one time. And uh, we were ministering, I think this was in Ohio. Oh, it's been 15 years ago. And um, Keith was up there singing. And the Lord gave me a word of knowledge for a young girl. And um, I didn't know what the situation was, but I, I just said that there was somebody there that had been having asthma and that the Lord wanted to heal them. Well, they refused. And Keith even talked about it in his sermon. And the lady was married. We didn't know all this till later. Was married to the pastor's son and had said she refused this faith stuff and she refused to let go of her inhaler and she refused to try to stand. No, I take that back. That was Keith that told that in his sermon. I didn't get that. That was Keith. And um, um, she um, said she refused. She was sitting right here. I mean, just right here. And he stood right in front of her and he said, and there's some people that won't even try to believe God for anything. Like some people have asthma and they refuse to even try to not get off their inhalers. And she was sitting right there. I kid you not, in three months, that young lady, young as this lady here or younger, I think she was in her 20s, was dead. Now, what was God trying to do for her? He was trying to give her an answer to her problem. He was trying to help her. He knew what the future was going to be for her, and he might have known she was in the best spiritual condition she was ever going to be for the rest of her life and had mercy on her because he knew she was saved and she died and she went to heaven. But what happens is people don't even try to believe God for things. It's easier in some people's eyes just not to. But what happens is you stay in the state that you are forever. I mean, you can see people that have been in word and faith circles for 20 years and they couldn't believe their way out of a wet paper sack. Have you, do you know anybody like that? I mean, they've been in it forever. I refuse to be that way. What about you? Do you refuse to stay where you are? Do you want to go up? Do you want to know how to go up? Now we know we can have little faith or no faith. Do you want to know how to get big faith? All right. We already know that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Everybody knows that. Everybody that's been around any of the faith circles at all has heard that all of our going. But let's look at 2 Thessalonians 1. If I had a prayer for Faith Life Church, it would be this. 2 Thessalonians 1. Paul and Silvanus and Timothy were writing unto the church at Thessalonica. And they were saying, um, In God our Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ, grace unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We, uh, we are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is meet, because your faith, what? grows exceedingly. Can faith grow? Evidently it can. Or or we wouldn't be seeing this here. It says that your faith grows exceedingly. And what's the next part? And that the love of every one of you all toward each other aboundeth. Now, if I had a verse that I prayed over Faith Life Church, that would be it. It would be that our faith grows exceedingly And our love toward each other abounds. What greater thing could you have than a church full of faith and full of love? There wouldn't be anything. 
So, can, can you have little faith? Everybody knows you can. There's people that couldn't believe for anything if they wanted to. Because they don't know how. Can you have growing faith? Can faith grow? Well, how does it grow? How does it grow? Faith grows by having faith victories. It grows by you having faith victories. I remember when Keith and I first got in the ministry. Actually, we weren't even in the ministry. We were um, living on Brother Copeland's tapes back in our 1969 Marriott mobile home. And it was beautiful, too. I'm telling you, the oven didn't work. And it it was a Mexican trailer. It had red furniture and, um, uh, I mean, red carpet and black furniture and red and black velvet curtains. It was sharp, I'm telling you. Thank you, Lord, for delivering me. But anyway, here we were. We'd been married approximately a year. This was way back in the 70s. And we'd been married approximately a year. And uh, some friends of ours uh, were getting married. I mean, it is, it's the thing to do then to get married immediately after high school, you know, in those little small country towns and stuff. I mean, and uh, that's what everybody did. And I'm one of the products of that. And um, Keith and I have been together since we were in junior high, and so we've been together forever. So, I mean, there ain't nothing about each other we don't know because we were too young to do anything before we met each other. So we know everything about each other. And so anyway, um, we had been married approximately a year. And um, we went to some friend's house, and they were getting married, and and they had just had a shower. And uh, we went over there to help them unload all the stuff that they had. And uh, they unloaded everything and brought it in the house. And we were trying to help them set up their little trailer that they had. And I had, they had gotten this clock that they were going to hang on the wall. And uh, they handed it to me and said, can you set this? And I was trying to work on setting the clock. And I had Keith to hand me his pocket knife. Well, you all know what's about to happen. So he hands me his pocket knife. And I've got this pocket knife stuck down in one of those little holes, you know, trying to turn it. And about that time, it snaps on my finger. I mean, it just snaps closed on my finger. And blood, of course, went everywhere, and it was bad news and everything. So we lived in a little small country town. And so we went to the hospital. Well, it was about 1 o'clock in the morning by then. Well, the little country doctor didn't want to get out. So he told him, he said, put a Band-Aid on it and tell her to come back Monday. This was Friday. So they put a Band-Aid on it and told me to come back on Monday. Well, during that time, my finger, this middle one here, had just curled under like this. Anybody that knows anything about medical stuff knows what happened. The nerves in it had gotten severed, and the tender, tendons and ligaments, is that what they're called, had um, begun to pull back because it had separated them. And they were pulling back in my hand. The more I used my hand, the more the ligaments were pulling back down in my hand, and my finger was just curling under. And so I thought, well, I better go see somebody that knows what they're talking about. So I went to Jackson, which is the big city, and I went to a doctor there. And he said, um, well, you know, he said, if you'd have come right away, we could have stitched it back up and stitched all those things back together, and it just wouldn't have been that big a deal. He said, because they would have been right there. He said, but you didn't. He said, so now we have to deal with what the situation is. So he said, what we have to do is we're going to have to put you in the hospital. He said, it's going to be an ordeal. He said, because we've got to cut your hand way down in here, and we've got to grab those ligaments, and we've got to pull them back up in here, each individual one, and the tendons and all the nerves and all that stuff, and uh, hook them back up together here. He said, and I'm not guaranteeing it's going to work, but we'll do it. So here we go. I went home, and I t- they put it in this brace thing that held it up so that I couldn't be bending it back and stuff, and I was supposed to wait about a week or so, and then because that was as soon as they could get the surgery scheduled, and I was supposed to go back and have surgery on it. So here we are the night before the surgery. Now, I know this has never happened to anyone in here, so just, just look straight forward and nobody will know. That night, Keith and I had World War III about me having that surgery the next day. He didn't believe I needed the surgery. I believed the little Catholic girl I was believed I did. I'd never heard anything about God healing people. Keith grew up Baptist and Pentecostal. I'd never heard anything about that. We had just barely, 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 barely begun to hear Brother Copeland and faith. And I didn't think I was there. 
I knew nothing about faith. I thought, man, that's some flaky stuff, bud, to think that God's going to heal my finger, you know. And I tell you what, we had World War III about it. He said, I really don't think you need to go. I mean, we didn't fight like this, but he kept saying all night long, I don't think you need to go. I don't think you need to go. I said, well, I do. And it's my finger. And I think I need to go. He said, well, I'm not going. I said, okay, I'm going by myself. So I said, we, I mean, this went on all night long. Y'all have never had those, so just look forward. Y'all have never had disagreements like that. So all night long this went on. I'm not kidding you. The sun rises. I'm supposed to be getting ready. I'm there uh, in our bed. We're, we're laying there talking, and um, the sun rises, and I'm supposed to be in Jackson by 7 o'clock that morning. It's 5 o'clock. I mean, it's an hour and a so drive, and I'm supposed to be there, you know. So we're getting close to the wire here. And he's still saying, you don't need it. And I'm saying, I do need it. Refusing to get in faith. Refusing to. Refusing to even come that way even an inch. Strong, solid in my beliefs of unfaith. (laughs) Now, y'all have never done it. I know. So, you know. Okay. So, I said... Now, I've done this a couple of times, and it has seemed to work real well for me. I wouldn't recommend that you do it. I said, okay, you can pray. I said, I don't believe it, but you can pray. That's what I did. That's where my faith level was. I said, if you want to pray and you want to believe God, then you do it. I can't. So I got down. We got down on the side of our little bed in our 1969 Marriott mobile home, and we knelt down, and... um, we, we knelt there, and, and uh, he prayed. He laid his hands on my hand, and he prayed. And I kid you not, I would be, call me a liar if this didn't happen. I'm laying there with my hand flat on the bed because his hand's on top of it right here. And my finger, my middle finger, raises and just lifts up off the bed and falls back down. Just lifts up, falls back down. Now, the brilliant person that I am... Don't tell, Keith. I am bound and determined I am going to the doctor. Now, y'all have never done anything like this. Bound and determined I'm going to the doctor. I don't tell him a word. I get to the doctor, drive an hour, get up, rush around, get dressed, drive to the doctor. The doctor looks at me. He said, I don't know what happened to that finger, but it don't need any surgery. He said, we can do it, but there's no need. You can see it now today. You can't tell it any different than the rest of my fingers. It's not bent down. It's not. Now, how dumb do you have to be? I mean, God does a miracle for you. Now, how could he do that miracle for me? Because that's where my faith level was. That's all the faith that I had was to tell Keith, you pray, and if you can believe for it, and God will do it for you, great. And even then, I didn't know if I believed it. I kind of hid it from him until I got to the doctor's office. Because he knew I didn't need to go. Now, as time progressed, because of that, the next thing that arose, I remember it specifically. I got a big lump in my breast. I remember it specifically. I tried to believe God for it. This was after we were at Ramah. I tried my best to believe God for it. And it kept getting worse and worse and worse. And the pain got so bad that I worked as, did therapies and different things on people and stuff, and I could hardly lift my arm anymore. So I figured I might better tell Keith. So I told Keith, and Keith believed with me. And instantly the pain was gone. The growth was gone. Everything was gone. Instantly, it was gone. Instantly. Now, I wasn't as dumb as I was the first time. My faith had grown, and I knew to ask him to pray with me. First time, I was being totally rebellious and didn't want anybody doing anything about prayer with me. Second time, I had enough faith in his faith. Do you see that? You may not have enough faith on your own as you're starting out, but you can have faith in other people's faith. 
And if you've seen other people have faith victories, have them to hook their faith with your faith. I mean, it's not the best to have to go to somebody and say, would you agree with me? But it's, it's humbling. But it's better to be healed and humbled than it is die in pride. <laughs> then after that, yeah, you read Proverbs, he says. So, um, so after that, there were other attacks in my body. Several different things have happened in my body. But after that, I thought, well, if he can believe God, I can believe God. But why was he able to believe God and I wasn't able to believe God? He was spending time in the Word. I was working a secular job. He was studying healing every single day, and I was studying doctoring every single day. He was studying healing every day, and I was seeing sick people every day that wasn't believing God. He was teaching healing every day, morning, noon, and night, and getting it in him, and getting it in him, and getting it in him. And I was seeing the other side of it, the natural side of it. So your faith grows by having faith victories. So what the biggest thing that you can do in order to get your faith to grow, for lack of a better word, most people is take a step backward and say, okay, God, what was that I was believing for that never came to pass? When we first started in the well, again, before ministry, even um, we were believing God for every nickel that we had. Keith told you Friday night if you were here. We went to a Kenneth Copeland meeting back in the 70s. And we had $10 to our name. $10. We drove to Jackson, which was an hour and a half away. And uh, went to a Brother Copeland meeting. And he taught on faith, I'm sure. And um, we had $10. We took $5 and put it in the offering. And bought Miss Gloria's tape on prosperity. Because we thought we sure needed it. And like he said, we've been going uphill ever since. I mean, it's only been getting better and better and better. But we, we were like most everybody else. We thought because God is a good God and he supplies all of our needs that we could just believe for the moon, stars, and sun. So we decided, all right, God, you're a big God. We need everything. We want some new clothes. We wrote a list out. We want some new clothes. We want a better place to live. I want to get out of this 1969 Marriott mobile home that the, it gets so cold in the wintertime that the, the, the toilet freezes solid top and bottom. I'm not kidding you. It did. We woke up one morning. It was froze solid. Our car was so ragged. Keith hated for me to drive the 30 minutes that I had to drive to work every day. It was just absolutely falling apart. We didn't have any money to pay our bills. We were both working full-time jobs. So it wasn't that we were being lazy. We both held down full-time jobs. We hadn't overextended ourselves. We had a $3,000 1969 Marriott mobile home, and that was the only bill that we had. And we were still going under faster than we could breathe. So we thought, well, God's a good God. And we know that he believes in prosperity, and he said he'd give us richly all things to enjoy. And my God supplies all my needs according to his riches and glory. Right? So we're going to believe for a new house, a new car, all new clothes, washer and dryer and TV. I mean, we made a list because he's a big God. But do you know what? Didn't quite happen that way. And what happens to your faith then? Keith tells the story. We were believing. We were believing, we were believing for this certain amount. Well, I won't even, a car. But we'll get into just the car part. We were believing for the car. And we said, and we, we put a time frame on it, which was really dumb. But we did. And so we thought, you know, we'd believe God for this particular thing to come to pass, this car to come to pass by this certain time. I'm not looking at the time. It's getting time to quit. Um, y'all want me to quit? I'll tell, you, I'll tell you the rest of the story next time I get to get up. How's that? Okay. I don't like to keep y'all late. Um, anyway, so we were believing God for this car. And uh, we were believing with every fiber of our being. I mean, we were believing, we were confessing, we were saying, we were believing, we were confessing. And the time came, and it was 11 o'clock that night. 
It was 12 o'clock that night, and we sat in the living room, looked at each other, and smiled. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Every time the phone rang that day, we ran to it. We thought, somebody's going to give us the money to get this car. Somebody's. We went to the car dealership. We looked at new cars. Earlier than that, we had looked at cars, and we sat in there with the salesman, and we said, uh, he said, how are you going to pay for this? Our father's going to pay for it. <laughs> Nobody did that when they were first starting their faith stuff. Made faith failures. Because you were trying to believe over your head. You were trying to believe greater than what your faith was. You're trying to believe higher than what your faith level was at the time. We hadn't been in the Word but a few months. And here we are trying to believe for new cars and new houses and new this and new that. We didn't have enough faith to believe that we wouldn't have a headache when we woke up the next morning. We had more faith than we would. That's where we were. But as time progressed... That car that we were believing for that we didn't get then, we grew. Years went by. And years went by. And another year went by. And another year went by. I think it was six years. Six years. Who wants to wait on a new car for six years? Nobody. You want it yesterday. Instant. Drive through. Microwave. But that's not how faith works. Faith works by you standing and not wavering no matter what you see, no matter what you feel, no matter what your friends say, no matter what your mom says, no matter what your dad says, no matter what your neighbor says. Lots of times you're better off not even telling anybody what you're believing for. Because there's no sense in having uh, discouragement when you're doing everything that you can to believe. Six years later, a man comes up to me and he says, "Um, the Lord dealt with me to buy you and Keith a new car. Six years. I said, what kind of new car? He said, whatever you want. Not only did he buy us the new car, but he paid the tag, the taxes, and the insurance on it. But now, for us to try to believe for that six years earlier, we weren't there. What you've got to do, what we begin to do, is to see you just bite off a little bit at a time. You believe, God, that somebody's going to buy your lunch today. And you stand on it. Say it don't happen today. Well, you believe it's going to happen tomorrow. And it doesn't happen tomorrow. Well, you stand and you believe it's going to happen the next day. What are we talking? $20? $10? $5? Depends on where you eat. 20 is the top of the, probably the heap you start there and you have a faith victory you start there and you get the five dollars to get your lunch with or you get the ten dollars you believe for a tank of gas you don't believe for the new car you just believe for the gas and you get that and you tell everybody about it I mean, you tell everybody. Don't be ashamed of it. Because that's what the devil wants. He wants people that are going... The only way that they're going to tell anybody about their victories is that they're big and they're huge and they're wonderful and that everybody's going to be impressed with what they believed for. I remember specifically, I was working at a doctor's office. And I know it's time to quit. But I think this will help some of you. I was believing at a doctor's office. Keith and I did not have food to eat sometimes. We'd come home in the afternoons, and it's like Keith said, you know, um, we could believe God for gas money or eat. And so we'd believe God for the gas money. It didn't hurt us. It was a good lesson in learning faith. So we'd come in. I remember one time we had three shriveled up carrots and uh, I think an onion and, and a little bit of flour. And we ate it. We fixed something and ate it. I don't remember what we fixed, but we did. But we began to believe. I had The Lord did it for us. I know he did it for us. I was on what was called a bonus system at work. And I worked at a doctor's office. And for every new patient that, that I got, lack of a better word, out of the waiting room to the back, it was a chiropractor's office, out of the waiting room to the back to become a new patient, or that we had come in that week, um, I'd get $10. Talk about incentive. <laughs> When you're broke, I mean, you'll accost people on the street. <laughs> Kick them. Did you get hurt? Oh, you need to go to the doctor. No, I didn't do that. 
So, but anyhow, it was a, it was a real faith lesson for me because I could believe for $10. And I got past the $10 and I started believing that that week we'd get $100 and that week we'd get $200. That man's practice grew so much, he'll tell you today. It grew so much while I was there, he just could not believe it. He'll, I mean, you, if you saw him today, he would tell you he knew it. The whole time I was there, he prospered. And it'll happen with you. You can believe God. You can believe God for people to come in that store and buy stuff. That's right. You can believe God that the business that you're working at increases so much that they see it's you and they have to give you a bonus. You can believe God that you've got somebody, God's dealing with somebody to give you $5. Now, it don't come by wishing. It comes by believing. And what happens is immediately when you believe for that $5, the devil's going to come and say, see, it didn't happen. See, it didn't happen. You didn't get it. You say, shut up, devil. I'm still believing. It ain't over with yet. And you just keep on believing. And you just keep on believing. Now, don't go out and try to write big faith checks. Like what I was talking about the little girl. You know, mama, just write a check. It don't work that way. Realize where you are so that you can have some faith victories so that the devil can't steal your faith from you and that your faith can grow. Start where you are. I tell you what, an easy thing to do, you get up one morning and you don't feel good. You feel like this is going to be a blue Monday and you just want to give in to the mully grubs. Don't do it. Use your faith. I'm strong. I'm strong. I'm victorious. Confess it. You'll see what happens. Start taking back the territory that the devil has taken from you. One little bitty step at a time. Five dollars at a time. Healing at a time. Start doing things that you couldn't do. Say you've been sick. You couldn't walk across the room. You didn't feel like getting up and walking across the room. Take two steps and sit down in a chair. Don't, don't plan on getting up and walking around the block. Take two steps and walk to the kitchen. Have somebody sit you a chair midway of the room. Start taking things back. Instead of trying to set unreasonable goals for yourself, instead of trying to set things that you're not at, instead of trying to set things that you want to impress other people with, instead of trying to set things that the devil has dealt with you to believe for, that's not even God to begin with, that you can't believe for, because you hadn't, you hadn't got the five dollars yet. How can you believe for five million? Know where you are. And don't let the devil convince you that you're at a higher faith level than what you are because he will steal what faith you do have. And as you begin to get faith victories, you'll say, God met my need that time, and he'll do it this time. And then the next thing will come. I know when we first started having office stuff, one of our staff, Karen here, it was the funniest thing. I used to laugh at her so much I wouldn't laugh at her face. I'd go back behind her back and laugh at her because we'd have bills and she was having to pay them. And she'd come to me and she'd just shake her head. What are we going to do? God's going to meet our needs. I kid you not, she's as strong in faith as we are about that stuff now. She don't come to me and say, what are we going to do? It'll be here. We'll get a call this afternoon. Something will happen. It'll be here. And I'm not talking about like what we were talking about when we first started, $15 to pay a bill, $20 to pay a bill. I'm talking $50,000, $30,000, $20,000. But that didn't come overnight. It came from us starting with the $5 and $10 believing for the patients to come in the office. Do you understand what I'm telling you? Well, stand up with me and let's pray over you. I don't know if I helped y'all or not, or not today, but I believe I did. I trust God that His Word is true and it never returns void. And that we're going to take back some of the devil's territory. I believe it. So let's just close our eyes and believe for that this morning. Father, in Jesus' name, I lift up every person in this service this morning. They're not here by accident this morning. You knew who was going to be here this morning, and you knew that you told me to speak on this this morning. So, Father, I just ask you to encourage them from the depths of their heart to start where they are. And if they've been trying to believe way out beyond their faith, Father, if they've been trying to believe for things that's not of you at this point in their lives, yes, they can believe for it, but it's way on out there, Father. But, Father, I just ask you to show them where they are now. 
and help them to get victories now, today. Little victories all week long. Little things that happen all week long that continuously builds their faith, Father. And I just ask you to encourage them on the things that they've been believing for in the past, Father. Remind them of those things and stir them up to begin believing for those things again, Father. That those things that the devil meant for bad, you're going to turn around and make good for them, Father. Those healings, those finances, those deliverances, those things that they thought was dead, Father, stir it up in them, Father. Stir it up, Father, to where there's nothing they can't believe for. Nothing they can't do without your help and your grace. In Jesus' name, I thank you for it. Thank you, Lord. Let's thank Him. If you believe it, do you believe it? Thank you, Lord, for working in our lives, showing us where we are so that we can have faith victories and not faith failures, Father. I just thank you for helping us with these things, Father. Give us victories. Help to help us to stand, Father, when we were weak. Help us, help us to be strong and do those things you've called us to do in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord.